Uh, welcome to the Medical Liability Minute. I'm your host, Jeff Siegel. I'm founder and CEO of Medical Justice, and we are joined today by Tina Vincent. And I found Tina based on a podcast she runs called Good Nurse, Bad Nurse. We'll talk about that in just a minute. But the impetus for me finding her was the outrage that she had identified based on a criminal case that was out there related to a nurse. So Tina is a registered nurse with a BSN from Lincoln Memorial University in East Tennessee. Tina has been a nurse for six years. She worked for four and a half years in a progressive care unit at the region's only level one trauma center. She worked as a team leader in this PCU at a certified progressive critical care nurse for over a year. She has since moved to cardiovascular intensive care unit and is now certified critical care registered nurse. Uh, and so before we dive in, I want to make sure we give a shout out to Tina's own podcast, Good Nurse, Bad Nurse, and we will have a chat about that shortly. Um, the podcast is one part lighthearted and fun, one part deep and thought provoking. So typically starts with an in the news story, a current happening that is fresh and relevant to nurses. Next, Tina and her guests dive into a true crime story, medical mystery involving a nurse or other medical professional. They close the show with an inspiring story of a past or present day good nurse or other medical hero. Thank you, Tina. Welcome to the show. Thank you for having me. I'm excited to be here. Yeah. So I think why don't we start off by who you are, because I, I actually found you. How did I find you? I believe I saw you mentioned in a news story, either on Medscape or something related to the American Medical Association, as somebody who was appropriately outraged over the criminalization of what ostensibly was a negligent act. And you're a nurse, a healthcare professional, and certainly if there's any negligence, our civil justice system has generally dealt with that reasonably well. And sometimes it works its way up into the regulatory world where there are actions taken against um, somebody's license, but it extre it's extremely unusual for a negligent event, even if it's grossly negligent, to morph into a criminal complaint where a prosecutor comes on board and they decide that this person doesn't only need to have money removed from them and have their license taken away, but they need to lose their freedom. You know, not dissimilar to uh, somebody who uh, commits uh, a rape or a murder or, or violent crime. So that's how I, I tracked you down because you were um, you had described um, not just your outrage, but outrage within the nursing community. And this is the uh, Redonda Vought case at uh, Vanderbilt. Why don't you set the stage for this? I know that you do this in the good nurse, bad nurse, but we don't really have a good nurse to get, st although I, I wouldn't say that she's a bad nurse. I think this is somebody who has a a story and she's certainly not the first person who um, committed an act that she'd love to do over. I mean, as a healthcare professional, I can tell you there are certain acts that I committed that I'd love a do over. I'd love to stick the toothpaste back in the tube. Um, it's just part of the practice of medicine. If you take care of several thousand patients a year over your entire career, you will not have performed perfectly. And so this is one of those situations, arguably, you know, a horrific mistake with a tragic outcome. 
but it set the stage for not only um, being beaten up and losing her license, but also um, actually being convicted in a criminal court. Uh, although there's less horrible news that's fresh, uh, fresh off the press uh, from the past week, and we'll get into that also. But I'm going to stop monopolizing the conversation. I'm going to bring Tina into this. Set it up for us. Well, essentially, for, for those of you who aren't familiar uh, with the story, I would be surprised people if, if people in healthcare aren't at this point. But um, in 2017, December 2017, nurse Redonda was working in, in the ICU as a help all nurse, and they uh, the there was a, a a patient Charlene Murphy who was admitted there. She had been admitted because she developed. Um, a brain bleed and that she had been stabilized from that and was really going to be going home. And the uh, one of the providers said, hey, we need to do a PET scan to see if we can figure out, you know, why did all of a sudden you develop a brain bleed? What's going on? So they ordered that and the nurse for this patient was not available because he was kind of pulled in different directions. So he asked Redonda to go down. Uh, well, sorry, the, the, the patient was sent down to radiology and then while she's down there, she she said, I cannot go through this tunnel. I can't do this. I have to have something to relax me. I will not. I can't. She's claustrophobic. Right. And so then the nurse, this her nurse said, oh, the nurse did not go down. This, she went down unmonitored. And uh, the nurse asked Redonda, can you go down and, and t take some Versed to her? The doctor ordered it. And can you go down and administer it? So Redonda said, sure. She had a pre, uh, she was precepting an orientee that day, a new nurse. And she pulled what she thought was Versed or midazolam out of the uh, Omni cell. And she had to override the medication in order to do that because it didn't pop up under Charlene Murphy's name. Of course, it didn't because she she actually typed in the wrong thing. She pulled out the uh, when she typed in Versed, it, it, it um, would not populate because drugs are listed under their generic name in those uh, mm -hmm. systems. And so it wouldn't have come up. But what did come up was the uh, the medication Vecaronium. And she chose that thinking, I believe, thinking that it was maybe the generic version uh, because it's, it's it sort of happens that way. We use, uh, we use the brand names a lot in uh, medicine. I don't believe we should. I've always said that. Um, when I was in nursing school, they taught us why we shouldn't do that. And this is the reason. This is a perfect example of why you should. we should be all using generic names. But I digress. So she pulled out the wrong medication, Vecaronium, and went down, administered it to Charlene Murphy, then went on to the emergency room. In the meantime, because Vecaronium obviously is a, it's a paralytic, and um, mm -hmm. you cannot breathe with, if it's administered. It, you only would give that if you were intubating the patient. Um, so Charlene Murphy went into cardiac arrest. Someone realized it. They intubated her, sent her back to ICU, and the family had to make the horrible, horrible decision to take her off of life support uh, later that morning, and she passed. And so then it wasn't until after that um, still in that same shift, but they realized, Redonda realized, wait a minute, this is the wrong medicine. I gave Vecaronium. I thought it was Versed, and it, it 
she filled out a Veritas report, um, which is an incident report or whatever they you know, call it, different things at different hospitals. And she meticulously, um, very, very detailed, explained what happened step by step, cooperated with everyone from the beginning, including walking into Charlene Murphy's room with providers at the bedside and just looked them right in the eye and said, I, I accidentally gave her Becaronium. I can't even imagine having to do that. I, I know that had to have been so difficult to do. And she was devastated immediately and has since then never been the same. Let's take a pause for a second. Mm -hmm. How is it that she actually chose the wrong medication? What was it that um, it, it, it sounds like there was something within the system itself, the information technology system or the drug dispensing system that made it more likely than not that Becaranium would even pop up. I mean, she was looking for particular medications. She was looking for midazolam or Versed and, and something so dramatically different than midazolam popped up. Well, I think what happened is she typed in VE and that brought up a, maybe a list of medications and she picked mm -hmm. the first one, VEC, Becaronium. Uh, so I think that as far as when you think about the holes um, in the system or the problems with the system, which is what we should be doing in a just culture, you should go back and try to you know, debrief and look at every single step along the way and try to figure out how did this happen. So that's a perfect question to ask. Um, and, and I do think that first step, first problem is that the, a culture, a lot of times it is the culture of, you know, the habits, you know, bad habits that we get into when we're taking care of patients. And one of those, I believe, is using generic uh, terms. But another one also is um, how commonplace it is to hit override in uh, uh, an omni-cell like that. So they have the override function there because sometimes you're in a situation, especially in an intensive care unit, but really anywhere in the hospital, where a patient, something happens that requires immediate attention. And you can't wait to put the order in, wait for pharmacy to verify it, then go get it. You just don't have that kind of time. Time is of the essence and you have to, and the ability to intubate someone can be, obviously can be that, you know, you, you need to have access to it quickly. So she was had the override, to Was the override function part and parcel of the fact that she had selected Vecaronium and so Vecaronium is connected to an override function kind of broadly, or was the fact that it didn't seem to have been ordered, uh, did that create the override, if anybody even knows? Yes, it is. So what happened is because Vecaronium was clearly not ordered, Medazlem was. The, the order for Medazlem was in the computer and it had been right. verified by the pharmacist. That was there under Charlene Murphy's name. But you're never going to find it looking under VE because mm -hmm. it's only under Medazlem. So, um, she, if you, if you pull up Charlene Murphy's name, pull up any patient's name, right. all, the only things that have been put in, uh, only medications that have been entered into the system and verified by pharmacy are going to come up under that patient's name. Got it. So if you are there and you're like, okay, I know it hasn't been ordered, but this is an emergency. I need this. Then you have to hit select all meds. You, you want to, every med that's in there uh, the, in the cabinet. And then you type in what you're looking for. If I have a patient whose blood pressure just dropped to 60 over 40, and I am, I'm going to run and look for norepinephrine, or mm -hmm. as everybody else likes to call it, leave a fed. Right. Uh, right. Did you say leave them dead or leave a fed? <laughs> 
<laughs> so leave a fed. Yeah, so, never mind. That's an old uh, one. No, I get it though. Okay. But <laughs> so it, but if I were to run to the cabinet and type in LE, because everybody calls it Levo, 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 Levo. Um, yes. If I were to type in LE, I'm not going to find norepinephrine. So I would find lots of other things. I would find some antibiotics, I, you know, mm -hmm. other, other medications. Yeah. Right. I would find a thyroid medicine, med medication, but I would not find norepinephrine. So if I wanted to find uh, that medication, I would have to type in norepinephrine and then that it would come up. But I typed in LE. Uh, I don't see this. I don't see what I need. So I have to hit override. It wouldn't be in there anyway because this patient wasn't on a presser. They they didn't have it ordered. So I'd have to hit uh, select all, pull up norepinephrine. There it is. Hit it, and it's going to say this is not ordered for your patient. I would just hit override. Bam, 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 bam. We do it all the time. Do it all the time, every day, all the time. It's so commonplace i can't even tell you and so when this first happened and i heard that the district attorney was making such a big issue out of her hitting override i just could all of us were just scratching our heads all of us we were all going we couldn't do our jobs and we're getting an intensive care unit they expect us to hit override all the time we would be laughed out of the hospital by our coworkers if we stood there and said, oh, I'm sorry, I, I can't pull this medication. I'm not allowed to hit override. I mean, there's something called alarm fatigue where if an alarm's going off all the time, you just naturally ignore it. You don't know what's the real signal, what's the real noise. Right. And you just end up overriding it. And you, you see the trade-off here between safety and ease of use, the mm -hmm. trade-off between safety and, and ease of use. I mean, we all use uh, Google and we start to type in, you know, one word and then it delivers the suggestions based on artificial intelligence that a the wisdom of the crowds has delivered in the past and most of the time it's correct but the stakes aren't as high i mean honestly if you get a bad search you just search again it's not the end of the world um so it's kind of interesting to see how these artificial uh, that our habits related to using artificial intelligence um are the same um depending upon the situation they they are no different than how we search for something or use electronic medical records where the stakes can be different, which makes you wonder, is this a design flaw? If there's always a, um, if there's a potential for an error and, and we have been led to override over and over and over again, isn't that a system flaw as opposed to an individual mistake? Yes, I do believe it's a system flaw and I believe it's a design flaw and it's something that should have been discussed at you know after this happened but also the the medication vecaronium or a paralytic like that should not have been you we, she should not have even been able to access that from that cabinet it really even if you need it in an emergent situation it should be kept uh near the crash cart in a, in that sort of a, there, there's really no other reason why you would need it other than to intubate so why if you're needing it emergently and it's not you're not in surgery you're not where you're going to be using it all the time um what why would you need to be able to override that in the cabinet if you could keep it near you know locked in a secure place where it's, it's clearly labeled and everyone knows what it is near the crash cart and instead of you know keeping it where it can be overridden and pulled out as easily as protonics it's it, it makes no sense that was another flaw and they fixed that um after the fact well a year later they didn't yeah. fix anything right away. All they did was get uh, was fire Redonda. They actually didn't fix anything, and all of the system holes that were there were not fixed um, until a year later.
did they identify that this was a system problem up front or did they just point the finger at Redonda basically saying you you overrode this uh, the you overrode the order for vecaronium against the advice of your computer or the system and you were distracted you're just not a good nurse we just can't keep you around it was at the conclusion early on or did they suggest in parallel there were systemic flaws that needed attention they definitely did not recognize there were any systemic flaws because they didn't do anything to repair i hope they didn't uh, identify oh look here's some things we could fix and then wait 13 months to fix it um until after the center for medicating medicare services decided to um go and uh, do a surprise visit uh, and investigate the situation that's they did not change anything until that happened so I don't think I think it, they they looked at this and they said um, you know what this was a horrible medication error we can't keep with because of what happened we can't keep mm -hmm. her here we have to let her go because this it's it was just too horrible and so we're gonna let her go because it was too big of a mistake but then when the Board of Nursing, the first time they looked at the situation, they looked at it and they said this was a terrible medication error. So they offered no suspension of her license. They offered no um, no kind of consequences like, you know, you need to do some education or nothing. You can know you're not allowed to work in intensive care. I don't know what it would have been, but nothing. It was just like, you know what, this was a medication error. Let's move on. This is fascinating. I did not know that. I didn't know that. The, I'm, I'm sure it was going to be reviewed by the Board of Nursing, but I didn't appreciate that after its review, they came to the conclusion that it was at best ordinary negligence and not something with which one could, first of all, lose their license, or number two, that it even required some form of discipline. Mm -hmm. That's that's interesting as a as a factoid on this on this case. Um, Okay, so did did she ultimately lose her license, or did she um, did she surrender it? I mean, what was the outcome of this? Because I know that typically, once you get caught up in the crosshairs of a criminal investigation, the board of medicine is, or the board of medicine in this case, the board of nursing is soon to follow. It's very difficult to maintain a license of good standing when you're defending yourself against a criminal charge. So let's let's talk a bit about the criminal case and how and when that popped up. So after they did fire her, the, Vanderbilt uh, settled out of uh, out of court with mm -hmm. the family, and then uh, about October. So that happened. This happened in 2017, the end of two, you know, around Christmas time, and about October of 2018. That is when an anonymous tip was given to the Center for Medicaid and Medicare Services. And what I personally believe, after all this is finally over, and I, you know, can kind of say whatever I want to about it. Um, you can I speak freely with me. I can, I feel, I, I had, I felt like I needed to be careful before. I didn't want to, I don't know. I just wasn't sure who could be listening or what they, how they could take it. But um, what I do believe happened is that someone connected with Vanderbilt, someone who worked there, someone who knew everything that happened, recognized that this awful thing happened and that it happened because there were holes in the system and they saw that nothing changed. They saw that the nurse was fired and literally nothing changed. There, you know, we, we talked about how she, you know, she was able to, to override that. Um, she, we talked about how um, it was, you know, it, 
the override function is used so frequently, um, the use of generic versus brand name. There are also, in addition to that, there were some other errors uh, in the system, I believe, and that was not having a, the ability to scan medication in, the radi in radiology. So when you get down to radiology, uh, you're the nurse and you have this vial and syringe and you walk, we walk in there, we are the way that you give medicine in the hospital these days in most hospitals um, and anyone I've ever worked in is you walk in, hi, how are you? I'm Tina. I'm going to be your nurse. Uh, can you tell me your name? And you look at their armband, can you tell me your date of birth? And you can you confirm that. So you've confirmed your patient. And then it, obviously you verify, you're going to verify the medication, but how do you verify the medication order? How do you verify the order, the right order, the right route, the right anything that has to do right. with the medicine? You have to look in the computer. It's it's not in the chart. It's not in that chart that has absolutely nothing significant in it that you carry around with the patient. Right. So you're there. The only way to verify the five rights would be to log in. There was no computer or scanning system down there to be able to do that. So she couldn't pull it up, scan the patient, look at the scan the medication, look and see where, you know, if it says, you know, what this is the wrong medicine, this this medication is not ordered for this patient, whatever. Hang on for a second. You used a term of art. Many will be familiar, not all, the five rights. If you can okay. just identify what that means to to the rest of our listeners that haven't heard that before. So in nursing school, we learn about in administering medication, how serious it is, uh, how important it is to be really, really careful anytime you're giving a medication to a patient. And you want to make sure that the the order that you've been giving by, get, been given by the provider uh, is correct. Like the, the patient is the correct patient. Yeah. The medication is the right medication, the mm -hmm. route that you're going to give it. Am I supposed to give it, uh, as a shot, you know, through intramuscular, am I supposed to give it an IV? Am I supposed to give it orally? Mm -hmm. Um, very important. Some some medications, it can make all the difference in the world, uh, life right. and death. If you give it the wrong route, uh, the right time, you know, that's, it was ordered and it's been too, you know, Tylenol, you can't give more than, you know, 4,000 in a 24 hour period. So you, uh, there's, it's important to understand that you're giving this at the right time, that whatever yeah. medication you're given um, and the right dosage. So this, I'm giving the right amount of the medication. So five rights, I think now they, they've added so many, I don't even know, but to me, those are the five important things. I want to make sure I get that every, every single time and be, be very diligent about it. And I think most nurses do and take it very seriously. But if you're in this situation, kind of a different situation. You can't get into your normal routine. I like to say, I like to get into a rut with my, 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 what I do, how I take care of my patients. So I do this, I try to do the same thing every time. It doesn't always work. Things obviously mm -hmm. happen, but I like to do that. Um, where I assess my patient first, then I go back to the computer and I chart my assessment and I look through the provider's notes to see what all they're saying. And I, you know, I have my way of doing things. I lay my medications out on my, a computer uh, station and I put them in little categories like these are anticoagulant medications and these are blood pressure medications and these are and this is what I teach uh, another nurse like this is what I do so that I know and then I can explain it to the patient um, so this is what you do but if now I'm sent down to radiology I can do any of those things and so me as I believe I'm an excellent nurse I pride myself on being an excellent nurse I it scares me to think of being put in a situation where I'm not allowed, I'm not able to do those things, those habits, those good habits that I've developed because there's no way to do that down there. So then that's what happened here. It's what bothers me about this. It's not like she's just 
you know, they tried to make it seem like she's so sloppy and she just blew past all of the, the warning and, and, and all the protocols. Um, and when in reality, there was no way to even verify the, the you know, the, the five rights. And they put so much emphasis on that in the And she um, was a help all nurse. Describe right. what that means to our listeners also. What is a help all nurse and how did she end up in, in radiology? This was a patient she was not familiar with, I take it, correct? Yes, it wasn't her patient necessarily. Uh, so a help all nurse, or some people may be familiar with the, the term the float nurse, is someone mm-hmm. who... Uh, it's a wonderful it was a wonderful thing. I love being in that position because you get to just go around helping people and nurses uh, who are assigned patients, they have their own one to two patients in ICU or you know three mm-hmm. to four patients to step down. They get overwhelmed as they have multiple right. patients. So it's nice to have somebody to help, hey, can you help me um, put in this catheter? Can you help me start an IV? I tried two times and I, I missed or um, they're just there to go down to radiology and administer this medicine for, for me that they're there to literally do what the, what the title says and, and help do wherever they can. It's what makes the system work. Mm -hmm. Okay. And it's usually, uh, I don't know about, I don't know about Vanderbilt, but a lot of hospitals, uh, it's sort of a a rare thing to have because usually we have so many staffing problems that we don't have the staff to be able, you can barely staff your, you already are usually understaffed and pay, and nurses are having to take on more patients than they really can safely take care of. Say in an ICU, they have three rather than one to two, they're having to take a third patient. So to have all of the nurses having one to two patients appropriately and have an extra nurse, that is just uh, almost like unheard it's a luxury. of. Yeah, it's yeah. a luxury. Well, it. I think what I'm hearing you say is it should be a necessity, but it's treated as a luxury. Yes, it is. It should be a necessity. The safest thing for uh, patients and for nurses license mm-hmm. and apparently nurses freedom would be to always have the situation. And and one of the things that the, the prosecutor pointed out was they were not understaffed. They the, Redonda was acting as a help all nurse. I agree with that. It was Christmas time. A lot of times people who work in hospitals understand that around Christmas time, most staff members are required to work holidays. So a lot of times they were kind of overstaffed for this, you know, for holidays because you you have all these staff members plus uh, surgeons and providers. They they don't like doing, they don't plan procedures. They're not going to sit there and do a planned procedure on Christmas Eve. Who's going to do that? So on the uh, other hand, everybody starts loading up with their <laughs> surgical patients right before the end of the year deductible mm-hmm. turns over the following right. year. So everybody's saying, oh, you got to be able to get me in. That's why people are at 10 o'clock on the 31st is still in the operating room. That's it's, true. It's, you don't have to turn over the deductible. That's true. But I, but I digress. <laughs> <laughs> but you, but usually it is a, it's, it can be relatively quiet. And a lot of times the, the patients that are there on the actual holidays, um, you know, are just really, really sick, like some super emergent thing happened that brought them in or they overate and went into CHF exacerbation. Um, so that's usually what you're dealing with. Well, the thing is, um, the, for the prosecutor to, to put emphasis on that uh, tells me that he doesn't really understand healthcare. I don't expect him to. He's not. But how, not, did, the, how did the baton get passed over? Uh, mm-hmm. You had mentioned CMS uh, started uh, looking around to see if there was anything deeper than what was on the surface. And then ultimately, at some point, the prosecutor got interested in it. I don't know if the CMS passed it over to a prosecutor or whether in parallel, uh, they, you know, they thought that um, we already 
we already took action. Now it's time to continue taking action on this one nurse. It's not really a system problem. So you end up having this tension between an individual problem versus a system problem. I can see why Vanderbilt would want to have this not interpreted as a system problem. Yes. And so when when CMS got involved and they, they did their surprise visit, they they basically said, here's what happened. And if you read the CMS report, which is extensive and very detailed, they they tell exactly what happened. All of the details that Redonda put in her uh, report, they explain all of that. They it's a scathing report against Vanderbilt. And they uh, they they basically say, you know, you didn't fix any of these problems. They point that out. You, you're going to have to fix these problems or we're pulling our funding. And for uh, Vanderbilt That's a University. That's big deal. I can't right. even imagine that happening because you yeah. think about it, say it's a local level one trauma center. It's affiliated with a, an excellent a- academic institution. Uh, I think that would be a very large news headline that I can't mm-hmm. imagine they they could stomach. Yes, it would have been devastating. And so they immediately, right around the same time that that, that was issued, that that um, a warning, whatever you want to call it, uh, was issued from CMS, it was about the same time that Redonda was arrested. Um, so I don't know. Coincidence, huh? It's such a coincidence. It's hard to, uh, during the trial, the TBI agent that arrested Redonda said that she got a referral, but she, it, it was never said who it was never said who who asked you to investigate this um so somehow she got a referral from somewhere that said so Redonda didn't, didn't learn about this the fact that she was in the criminal the criminal law crosshairs until she was arrested or did she, was there a heads up that she was being investigated well if you know the, the TBI agent uh did Tennessee Bureau of Investigation. So it's a state equivalent of the FBI. Okay, keep going. So she uh, approached Redonda, asked her to come to interview her. And she told her, you know, you, this is anything you can, uh, anything you can, anything you say can and will be held against you. She explained that to her. And Redonda said, I don't need an attorney, Um, which by the way, if this has taught us anything, it has taught us that if you make any sort of a mistake while you're working it is in your best interest to get an attorney to represent you you should do everything you you, everything humanly possible to save the patient's life be honest up you know forthcoming but once the emergency is over if 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 that happens moving forward you have got to have representation because she didn't have anyone there uh, with her she was just completely honest they recorded the entire conversation they played it was like two and a half hours long they played the whole thing during her trial the whole thing and they used her words against her because she just very candidly explained everything that happened one of the things that they really emphasized during the trial that the prosecution emphasized was how she said I am responsible for killing this patient. I knew I, she said that. She said right, that's words. a word choice that I, I understand why she said that and I understand what she said. I think had she met with an attorney beforehand, she probably would have modified her language to to convey a similar meaning, but not something that could be misinterpreted. So I want to say amen to your advice, which is if you are ever in the criminal crosshairs, 
yes, get an attorney. There's a tendency to think, hey, look, I didn't do anything wrong. I have nothing to fear. I'll just go in there and tell the truth. I'll tell my side of the story. But words do matter. Uh, words are how uh, people decide to get married, how they get divorced, how um, how countries go to war with each other. Words do matter. And I think having an attorney who has been through this before, who has a lot of experience, a lot of background training experience to managing these things, that is your new best friend, uh, particularly when the stakes are so high. And the stakes were quite high here, namely your freedom is at stake. And I can't think of any any more challenging situation. Yes, you need to have an attorney on speed dial at that moment. I don't think that Redonda expected to be arrested. I think that she did believe that um, if she, as long as she was just honest and forthcoming and told exactly what happened, that she wouldn't have to worry about that. And no, no people who are innocent well, ever believe they're going to be arrested. As Monty well, Python once said, nobody ever expects the Spanish Inquisition. That's before your time, though. But anyway, my, my point is, is that um, once once you're being brought in, if there's something that suggests even an iota of a suggestion that you could be the you could be the individual um, who is a defendant in a criminal case. Uh, I think that every even Redonda right now would say with the benefit of hindsight, she certainly would have um, brought an attorney on board. So any. Anytime we have a client, a a healthcare professional who is in the crosshairs, I do tell them to lawyer up. They may do nothing more than just sit next to them. There may be nothing more than just um, some hand-holding, um, and that's it. But I would suggest that um, if they need to object, if they need to shut it down, they know how and when to do it, and they're going to have more experience than, in this case, the defendant. And with that, we're at the end of our broadcast. Thanks for joining us. In closing, a few messages. If you're an existing member of medical or dental justice and you find yourself on the receiving end of a medical legal threat, please contact us at 1-877-MEDJUST. That's 1-877-MEDJUST or 633-5878. Our STAT hotline is a service offered to all current members. It's designed to get your urgent medical legal questions answered ASAP. Members can also access a plethora of exclusive medical legal resources by logging into their members-only page, which can be accessed by our website, medicaljustice.com. Now, we want to protect as many doctors as possible. If one of your colleagues is in trouble, please refer him. When a current member of medical justice refers a colleague and that colleague becomes a member, you both receive a month of free protection. To refer a colleague, write to us at infonews, that's I-N, Epison Frank O, news, at medicaljustice.com. That's infonews at medicaljustice.com. Now, before we close, one last request. If you enjoyed this episode, please write a review on your preferred podcast provider and share our podcast with your colleagues. Reviews help maintain our podcast visibility which in turn helps us reach a broader audience. This helps us protect more doctors. Thank you for joining us this week. We hope you'll join us on the next episode of the Medical Liability Minute.